The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, good morning, Word of Grace. We're going to wrap up our series called Fixing Us this morning, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. The majority of this series, we've really been focusing on how we can heal from the past and how we can learn to grow in things that maybe from our past have been kind of hindering us or habits or patterns that we need to repent of and be broken over in order to help repair and rebuild our marriage relationship. But today I want to shift gears when I talk about fixing us just a little bit to be less of dealing with the past and more of how to invest moving forward. So if you're a note taker, and I hope that you are, the title of my message this morning is Investing Forward. You can write that down, Investing Forward. And before we get too deep into the Word today, I do have some resources that I want to throw your way, and I have a lot of these resources out on the Community Group Study Guide, which is in Community Group uh, Central, right on the big red wall across from the cafe. You can go grab one of those. They'll be there every week with different study notes from the weekend message. But this week, I have some more resources available on there, and I would encourage you to go grab one and see what all is on there. One of the things that I asked last week is that we would have four community groups start that deals with specific topics in marriage, and I had those studies picked out. You guys responded awesomely. We've had a lot of people respond to that, so thank you. But if it's still on your heart to lead one of those community groups dealing with marriage, the more the merrier, because that means there's more opportunities on different nights of the week with different topics that people can come to and find resources and help in community and connection to help invest in their marriages. So if God is putting that on your heart, like Pastor Keith said, May, uh, February 11th, we're going to be doing a community group leader training here at the church, and you'll need to get signed up for that. We would love for you to go through that training for you to know and have the confidence and the equipping to be able to lead a community group so you can provide an opportunity for people in our church to be able to invest in their marriage forward. Also, I was made aware of an event that's coming up in Appleton. It's called A Weekend to Remember. And we had a couple in our church, Jerry and Jill Krutzik, brought this to our attention because they've attended the event in the past. It's put on by Family Life Ministries. And if you're unfamiliar with Family Life Ministries, Word of Grace uses a lot of their materials for a lot of our small groups and a lot of things that we do here at church. We love that ministry. We think they're top-notch. They're one of the best, in my opinion. They're the ones that are hosting this group, uh, and it's called A Weekend to Remember. It's on February 23rd through the 25th, and if you would like to take the part of that trip, there's a special promotion going on right now to where they're offering it for half price, and so you can basically uh, take advantage of that deal by connecting with Jerry and Jill. Uh, they'll be out there at the table right across from uh, guest services. You'll see as you walk out, there'll be a table set up. If you want more information about it, they've been before. They can answer questions. We just found out about this and thought, you know what? Let's let our church family know about it. And if you want to be a part of it, we're for it. It's not necessarily a Word of Grace organized piece. It's something that you'll kind of have to follow and make your own arrangements. But we'll provide the information for you and the steps on how to get connected. And then last but not least, uh, in investing forward, I think one of the greatest resources that we have available to us in our county is great marriages. We have great marriages right here in our own backyard, and they have so many amazing events that are coming up. To name just a few, uh, in February, they're going to be having the five love languages on February 13th. Um, they're going to be doing love and respect on February 17th, which is a fantastic study. Um, they're going to be doing for couples only on March 1st. 
first. And then there's this guy, you know, his name is uh, Andy Shanholtz. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. But anyways, he's going to be doing a teaching on communication on March 3rd. Now, Pastor Andy, for those of you who don't know, is a very close friend of mine. And uh, I love Pastor Andy. And he is a phenomenal teacher as well as he gets communication and he gets relationship. He is trained on how to teach and help people to learn communication languages. And he's one of the big... uh, pieces in my life that helped me to see the, the things I needed to see about my own personal communication uh, language, how I give and receive information. We'll talk about that a little later in the message, but Pastor Andy really helped me to see a lot of that, and he's going to be uh, at Great Marriages on March 3rd. Now, you can go to great-marriages.org events, and you can register for any of these events and get more details on them. Now, I'm giving you all these resources because I'm wanting us to get a hold of this idea. This idea of investing in our marriage that no matter how long or how short of a time or whether you're currently not married at all, but we still need to be investing in growing. And if you are married, especially in your marriage, never stop investing in your marriage. Never stop. It's not this thing where you hit this pinnacle or this apex and all of a sudden you go, we're pretty good. I think I've done enough good in my marriage and I've invested enough in my marriage. I think we're pretty good. That's a terrible idea and a terrible uh, perception to have about looking at investing in marriage. Man, we've got to get this idea of this is a continual investment. The temptation in too many marriages is to give up, to quit, to coexist, to just go, oh, I know him well enough. I know all his hangups and his habits. Yeah, I know her. I know all her stuff. Guess I'm just going to have to deal with it and she's going to have to deal with me, and we're just two people dealing with each other instead of enjoying each other. God's best is that you would enjoy one another and that you would get to know one another more and fall more deeply in love with each other as time progresses, not the opposite. How do I know this? Because as I see our walk with God, don't you think that God wants our relationship with Him, the more that we get to know Him, for us to invest more in knowing Him, that we should love God more today than we did yesterday? Why would the same not be true of our spouse? Because marriage, when correctly done, when correctly done, marriage is one of the best pictures that we have of what love is supposed to look like, of what commitment is supposed to look like. And it's a mirror. It's a type and shadow of the way that Christ loves the church, Christ being the groom and, 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 and the church being the bride. We see this picture over and over again in Scripture. And don't you think that as we look at loving God more, that He would want that for our relationship with our spouse, that we love our spouse more, and the more we love our spouse, the more we enjoy them, the more we want to invest in who they are, the more we want to grow together in our marriage relationship. So we should never feel like we've reached the pinnacle. We should never feel like it's time to coast. We should never feel like it's time to coexist and just accept all the things we don't like and just keep on moving along and just, you know, just kind of tolerate each other. That's not God's best. God wants us to enjoy life with our spouse, so we've got to do a few things. And we've got to do these things regardless of what season of life you may be in. We've got to do these things whether you're going through a tough time right now or whether you go, hey, my marriage is great. I should have stayed home because I think everything's just going swimmingly well. It doesn't matter if you think you're on the mountaintop or if you're sucking for air in the valley. You need to invest in your marriage. It doesn't matter if you've been married one week or if you've been married for 50 years. 
You need to invest in your marriage. So I want to give you three things today that are going to help you if we will do these proactively to continually invest and we never will stop doing these things in our marriage. The first one is this. We need to learn our spouse. Learn your spouse. Learn his or her ways where you become a student of that individual. You are learning who they are. You're learning how they communicate. You're learning their likes and dislikes. You're learning how they process information. And you're learning how you can meet them in the way in which they communicate so you can begin to build a bridge of communication with one another. I don't know how many times I've sat down with couples, and one of the biggest frustrations is that they're not talking, they're not communicating, they're not understanding each other. Communication is like a drawbridge. There's two sides to this thing. Now, I can only control my half of this drawbridge. I cannot control the other person. I can jump up on top of it, and I can try to pull their side down, but man, I'm not getting through. We are not communicating. And it seems like all communication is just hitting this brick wall. And they probably feel the same way about us. And it's, we're just not connecting. So both sides have to come down. So that ne means that there needs to be a little bit of learning on both sides. And there needs to be some accommodation on both sides in order for our sides to come down so communication can flow across and we can begin to understand one another but that takes time and that takes learning your spouse in the way that he or she communicates and learning how to accommodate and learning how to meet them where they're at because that will actually encourage that spouse that has been unresponsive as you learn their communication language it will actually encourage them to begin to kind of lower their their half of the drawbridge down a little bit and go hey, this guy's speaking my language, or hey, this lady's speaking my language. And then they begin to feel understood. But we've got to learn these things. One of the things that Pastor Andy taught me, and I'm sure he's going to teach on March 3rd uh, at the event at Great Marriages, is uh, that he taught me four uh, basic ways of communication that most of humanity can fall in one of these categories. It doesn't mean you're just one of these. You can be predominantly one of these and maybe some of the others, but most people fall into one of four categories, and that's audio communication, That's uh, there's visual communication, there's kinesthetic or, or feeling, you know, someone basically is communicating through feeling, or auditory digital, or someone who's looking to make things reasonable. They, they, it needs to make sense for them, and they're always wanting to make sense of things and if we learn about our spouse, which one of these things best fits them, it will help us better understand them. We need to learn, are they an external audio communicator or an internal audio communicator? They hear things and then maybe they have to process, they have to go take some time and think about it. Or maybe you're like me and you like to talk. And I am what you would call an audio external communicator. Shocker. That means that when I am speaking, I am not only trying to communicate, but I am also actively processing information as words are coming out of my mouth. That will drive an internal communicator absolutely mad because someone who takes things internally and they need to think about it before they give a response, I just gave you all the details of everything that you wanted to know and didn't, know, didn't want to know, and then I'm asking you, what do you want to do about it? And you're like, I need some time to think about it. Well, what do you mean you need time to think about it? I just told you everything you need to know. I just need to know yes or no. What do you want to do? I ran into this problem with my staff when I first came here at Word of Grace, and I would get into all kinds of trouble because I didn't understand how my staff 
was wired. I didn't understand this whole communication uh, uh, piece. I, I, I just didn't get it. And one of the things that I used to really have a bad habit of doing is we would have these ridiculously long staff meetings where I would pour out my entire heart for everything that I've ever cared about in a staff meeting. And I would say, guys, we're going to do this and this at church, and we're going to do this and this, and then God showed me that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then they're sitting there listening and listening. And then at the end, I go, what do you guys think about it? And they go, good. Good? What do you mean good? And in my mind, I'm thinking, these people don't love Jesus. In my mind, I'm thinking, these people don't get it. And I start thinking, do I have the wrong people on the bus? I don't know. You know, what's going on? Do I, I don't understand. I was getting frustrated because these people were not getting it. It wasn't that they weren't getting it. It was that I was surrounded with a bunch of internal communicators who needed to process stuff. And when I realized that, Oh my goodness, they began to lower their side of the drawbridge. And so instead I would say, guys, I want to share my heart with you. And then I want us to come back and let's talk about this next week. And then here's some things I want us to decide. And I would share my heart and I would still do my part that I would do before, share my heart with them. But instead of just boxing them in a corner and saying, what do you think? What do you want to do about it? They would go, okay. And then they would come back with some great feedback and great information. I had to learn this stuff. I used to scare one of my staff members. And when I finally understood this about myself, I went to her and I said, hey, I said, I learned something about myself. I said, Pastor Andy, help me to see. I'm an external communicator. So when I'm talking, I'm actually thinking. I'm not making decisions. I'm just thinking. And I'm, you just happen to be my victim for that day. And, <laughs> and when I told her this, she exhaled and she said, oh, Pastor Derek, thank you so much. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you used to make me so nervous when you would come and talk to me. I would think that you were making all these decisions and me wanting to make all these changes. You were just thinking. I said, absolutely. I was just thinking. She goes, oh, that helps me so much. I didn't understand that about myself. Now, take this and translate it to a marriage relationship where you have people who process things very differently and they need to learn how one another communicates so they can actually prefer one another so they can understand what one another's love language is, what their communication style is, and they can actually accommodate them. That is one of the best ways you can honor your spouse is by accommodating the way that they communicate. It's you showing, I care about you, I see you, I get it, I want to love you and give you this gift of me preferring you instead of me just trying to say, well, she needs to just get on board with me or he needs to just get on board with me. Because we arrogantly want people to just be like us. And we think that everyone else that's not like us, that doesn't think like us, process like us, communicate like us, we think they're wrong. Or, or that at best, maybe they don't care. And you may be very, very wrong, and you're making false assumptions about your spouse because you haven't learned them. We need to spend time learning our spouse's communication language. And that's why I want to give you all these resources to help you to be able to do these types of things. I learned that my wife is an internal visual communicator, which means she needs to see it. She does not learn as well through me speaking. That's not a good thing because speaking's kind of my thing. And when I talk about all the things that I want us to do this week, I'll just talk, hey, we need to go do this this week. We need to pay these bills. We've got to go take these kids to do this. We've got to go blah, 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 have this date, this date, this, this meeting, this meeting. And she's just like going, whatever. And she's like, write it down. <laughs> and she'll say, write it down. And I'll say, what do you mean write it down? I just told you everything. And she'll say, would you write it down? And if you want me to get this and this done this week while you're at work, why don't you just write it down for me? Because she needs to see it because she is a task-driven, visual, I need to internalize it, think about it, 
think about what else I have to do. I need to go look at my planner, look at my calendar. I don't have to look at those things. She does, but I need to prefer and actually recognize that she needs those things and give those things to her. That's me actually loving her and speaking her language. But that takes time. And man, I am definitely not the best at it. If you go talk to my wife today after church, she'll tell you he's not the best at it, but I'm learning. I'm learning, and I'm trying to get better at it because I want her to know that she is my priority, and I want to learn her, and I want to have a healthy, strong marriage to where I can learn how she communicates, learn who she is, give her that preference, and then that gets reciprocated when it's genuine, folks. It may not get reciprocated overnight, but I promise you, if you're still faithful and consistent, it will get reciprocated to where you will begin to receive those same things. So prefer them, love them, learn them. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is traditionally known as the love chapter in Scripture. But I have a little bit of problem with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the love chapter because people take it out of context. And you know here at Word of Grace, we like to read the Bible in context, don't we? Otherwise, we get in trouble making the Bible say things that it doesn't say. So we need to make sure we look at 1 Corinthians 13 in context. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context of what's happening here. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This was a letter that he authored to them, and he was dealing with some pretty severe issues in the church. He was actually chastising them and getting on to them because they were arguing about stuff, and they didn't know which way was right, which way was more definitive, which way was more spiritual. And they had a lot of questions because on the one hand, they thought, well, we're free in Christ, so we can do all these things. And then they thought, but yet there's these other things that seem that they're not, they're not acceptable. And then there were these whole issues concerning the gift of the Holy Spirit and how the gifts of the Holy Spirit were going to be in operation and, and how people thought if I operate in the gift of tongues more, I'm more special or I'm more significant. And some people thought, well, if I do this, then I'm more special. And they were having these issues in the church, whether or not they should eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. It's just meat, some would say. And some would say, you can't eat that meat. It was used in a sacrifice to an idol. And they're like, but I'm free in Christ. And they're having all these issues. So Paul writes this letter to straighten all this mess out. And he writes it within a very authoritative tone all throughout 1 Corinthians because he's trying to straighten this mess out. And so he deals with these things incrementally. Now, in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins to deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's how he opens up chapter 12. He didn't call it chapter 12. It was just another section of his letter where he said, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, this is what I want to say to you. He said, It's good that you desire spiritual gifts. So he's saying this isn't a bad thing that you're pursuing the Holy Spirit moving and using you and working through you. Jesus told us to do this, so this is good. But he says you need to make sure that love is at the very foundation of the motivation of why you're doing what you're doing. Because in chapter 12... Paul deals with gifts of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 14, he deals with gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we pull out chapter 13 like it's some separate talk. Folks, it was not a separate talk. It was all the same continuous thought concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit that connects through 12, 13, and 14. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says in the very first verse of chapter 13, he says, if I speak in tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a clinging symbol. I'm just making a bunch of noise because what he's trying to communicate to them is, listen, spiritual gifts are good. Pursue those things. God has those things for us and he wants us to pursue them. But 
Don't do it for the wrong reason, because if you do, you're not really being genuine and authentic with it anyway, and it's more important that you prefer your brother by loving them and not causing a bunch of chaos and confusion. And that's why he corrects them in chapter 14 about order in the church and how they should handle the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But before he gets to the order piece, he talks about the heart piece. He talks about love being the foundation and love being the actual preference to your brother about not causing confusion. Because he says in uh, chapter 14 and verse 40, he says, because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And he says, listen, here's the deal. You need to prefer your brother because wouldn't you rather win your brother than him just think you're mad or you're going insane? He said, wouldn't you rather prefer your brother than you worry about whether or not you should eat meat sacrificed to idols? He said, why are you fighting over this stuff? Why don't you look at how to prefer your brother instead of becoming a stumbling stone of offense to them? Instead, why don't you learn how to actually love them and serve them? Because if love is your motive, you're going to do these things because this is what love is. Is. And he says all of those things up, leading up to 13. And then let's read in verse 4. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. So in other words, he's saying this is the way all of you folks have been acting about all your meat sacrifice to idols, your gifts of the Spirit, and your sexual immorality. He said, this is how you've been acting. So that's not love. This is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. And eventually there, in the end, uh, he, he gets to a part to where in verse 13 he says, now faith, hope, and love abide. He said, these three are, he said, are, are, are the ones that abide. He said, but the greatest out of these, the greatest is love. He's saying, listen, we're going to prefer one another. And this is part of learning to invest forward in your marriage relationship, is preferring your spouse instead of insisting on your own way. Instead of becoming irritated over the fact that your spouse isn't being or thinking or communicating or acting the way that we want them to. Instead, this is what love does. This is what love is. It's patient and kind. It's preferring our spouse. But that takes us humbling ourselves to learn our spouse. Love your spouse by respecting who they are, not who you want them to be. Learn the way that they communicate. Learn what their love language is. You guys, uh, if you haven't heard of this, Gary Chapman put out a book years ago, The Five Love Languages, where he goes through this descriptive process of these five different languages, uh, whether it's words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, physical touch, or quality time. Learning your spouse's love language and learning how to build the bridge, learning how to lower their half by you first taking the initiative to lower your half of the drawbridge. So you can connect, not so you can just be disappointed or frustrated with what they're not doing, but instead learning who they are and the unique gift that God has created them to be, that God has given you. And if God has put this unique person in your life and he's put someone so different from you in your life, then it means that you need some of the things that this person is going to help bring out and help you to sharpen and become a better version of who you, God has called you to be. He will use that person to buffer you, to sharpen you, to help you to be more loving, to help you to be more patient, to help you to be more selfless. But it takes us recognizing the gift that they are 
and helping us to learn our spouse. Prefer their love language and learn what they enjoy and learn how to give them and love them in a way that, that they will enjoy certain things. I Man, a couple years ago, I decided, my wife and I, we talked about becoming Milwaukee Bucks season ticket holders. And man, I was super excited because I thought this is going to be great. We're going to be season ticket holders to uh, the, the Bucks, And we had full season, 41 games in the first year. Man, it felt like we were living at the Bradley Center. Like that was our second home. Just felt like we were there all the time. And then the next year, my wife, she kind of started losing steam in it. And she didn't really want to go as much. And I started getting frustrated because I started thinking, we bought you know, these tickets, we spent all this money, and you, you won't even go and do this with me. And I'm frustrated. She said, well, when we originally talked about it, it sounded like a good idea, but I just, I, I'm not into it as much as you do. It's kind of like, you know, husbands buying your wife a bag of golf clubs and, you know, expecting them to be excited about it. Now, your wife may be an avid golfer. Maybe she would be excited about that. But, you know, the thing is, is that she wasn't into it like I was. And I was trying to get her to get into it like I was. And I lost a lot of money that second year because I either went to games by myself. And my kids didn't even want to go. They're like, Dad, we've been to way too many games. This is like overkill. And, or I'd have to take a friend or I'd try to sell them or maybe they wouldn't even sell and I just lost them, but I'd already paid for them. Oh, that happened a couple times too. And then I said, you know what? I talked to my spouse. I said, why don't we just give these tickets up and let's not renew the next year because what I would rather do is I would rather spend money and time on stuff that we genuinely enjoy together. And if we want to go do this on occasion, we can still do it on occasion when, when we want to go together. And she was like, oh my gosh, it takes so much pressure off my wife. Instead of trying to box her into a corner and make her to be this person. Now, sometimes we have to you know, do things with our spouse that may not be necessarily the thing that we most enjoy doing, but the, 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 the thing we need to see is that being with them should be the thing we enjoy the most. Amen, somebody? You see, I had to learn that even though this was something I wanted, I had to learn her language and learn what she loved and begin to actually accommodate her. And that leads us to the second thing, which is listen to your spouse. We have to give priority to our spouse. And by listening, I'm not talking about listening when they're talking. I mean, we get that. We're, we should do that. I'm talking about listening to them by giving our spouse priority. I mean, he or she should always be the one who gets our attention. I was having a meeting with someone one time, and this spoke volumes to me, and it challenged me deeply because at this time, or at that time, I hadn't been practicing this. As we were meeting, the person got a phone call, and he looked down at his phone, and he said, oh, it's my wife. He said, would you just excuse me for just a moment? I need to see what she needs. And he answered the phone. She didn't need anything in particular. He explained he was in a meeting. He told her he loved her, and he said that he would see her later. And that spoke such volumes to me because I thought back to how many times that I had been in meetings, which I'm in a lot of meetings throughout the week. And I began to think when I would see different numbers come up on the phone, and if it was my wife, I'd be like, I'm in a meeting. And I wouldn't have answered the phone, and it challenged me. And I had to go home to my wife and say, Honey, I'm going to start answering the phone. I want to give you priority. I want to let you know as much as I can, and when I'm in a circumstance where I can, that I can, in a gentle way, let that person know who I'm with, that my spouse is my priority. We do this with our kids, too. When my wife is smart enough that she started doing this years ago, so I can't take any credit for this at all, but this is a really good idea. 
my wife and I have trained our children in a way to where we do not allow them to interrupt us when we're, when we're talking. And if they do interrupt us when we're talking, we correct the behavior. One of the things that we do, especially is when we're in a closed, confined space, a.k.a. a car, and we'll be driving down the road, we have taught our children that if you want mom or dad's attention and mom and dad are speaking to each other, it's not okay for you to interrupt, but you can let us know that you would like to get our attention and you have something to say by gently placing your hand one time, not this, not this, gently placing your hand on mom and dad and just leaving it there until we acknowledge you and then we'll say, hey, you know, what would you like to say? Uh, and that's what she has instituted that for years. And it's been such a good thing. And I thank God that she had that idea uh, because my response probably would have been, don't you see we're talking? You know, don't you see mom and dad are talking? Don't interrupt. You know, and I would have said something like that as to where my wife came up with a much more gentle and loving approach to it, to where now my kids, if you see my kids put their hand on me, that means they want to talk to me if I'm talking to someone. Um, and that's just something that we've come up with because what it communicates to the child is that your spouse is the priority. If I'm talking to mom, if I'm talking to dad, that we're having a conversation, it's not just a free-for-all to see who can get my attention, who can get my blood boiling. No, no, no. We have an order to this thing, and we're going to reinforce it. Every time you start to backslide, because my children, they'll backslide. When they backslide and they start to not do those things, we have to remind them this is who the Armstrongs are. This is the values that we have because we want to communicate to them. And I want to set the example for my children that their mother comes first. I love them and they are definitely next in line after mom, but mom comes first because she is my wife. I love my kids. I'm for my kids. I'll do anything for my kids. But my wife comes first and I want them to see that because I want them to know how to treat their spouses. Because more is caught than is taught. I can teach them a good lesson. I can read them a good sermon. But let me tell you something, folks. They're watching. And what they're watching is going to make a greater impact, uh, a lot more so than what you say. And so what you say and what you do need to match up. Amen, somebody? So give those little, just those little ideas of how to make your spouse a priority. Listen to your spouse and you'll bless their heart. Because you're listening to who they are and you're putting them in a seat of priority and you bring security in your relationship when you do that. Active listening is one of the best ways to do that. James 1 and 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But we get that in reverse order, don't we? We are quick to get angry. We are really quick to speak especially if you're audio external. And we are very slow to listen. We will listen so slowly to where our spouse don't, doesn't feel heard. And we will maybe even, even say things back to our spouse to the tune of, I heard every word you said. You weren't listening. They're not saying you didn't hear what I said. What they're saying is that you're not actively engaged and you're not hearing my heart. You're not making me a priority right now. I know that you can be on your phone and you can be scrolling through Facebook and still be able to recite to me back what I said. I know that you can be scrolling through your text message. I know that you can be watching that TV show and you can repeat what I said back. Don't give me the excuse you're a multitasker. Give them priority. What they're saying is, you're not listening to me. They're saying, I don't feel like you're making me a priority right now. That's really what your spouse is trying to communicate. 
So why don't we all decide that we are going to be good listeners? We are going to listen to our spouse. We're going to learn our spouse, learn how they communicate, and then we're going to listen. And if we listen and learn how to put them in the priority seat, man, it will bring security and it will make them just feel like they're such a special gift from God as they are. And that flows into the last thing, and that's like and love your spouse. I want you to pay attention to that first word, like and love your spouse. We can quickly in our culture say, oh, I love my spouse. But can we say we like our spouse? Because there is a difference. You may say love because you're committed. And that some people's definition of love is commitment. And they'll say, I love you, which means I'm sticking around because we got kids and a mortgage. <laughs> but it may not mean I like you. It may mean I tolerate you, but I love you and I'm committed, so therefore... Well, I'm in this for the long haul. And we just kind of grit our teeth and get white-knuckled about it and just move forward. But we're not enjoying our spouse. When I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, this was before my wife and I had kids, there was an elderly retired minister that we used to go and spend time with a few times a year. And this gentleman always had a word from the Lord for me every time I would go and see him. And I knew when i go and see him, that God had put something on his heart to share with me, and I was always excited to go and hang out with him. His name was Willis, but we would call him Daddy Willis because that was kind of this grandpa, great-grandpa figure, this really uh, just elderly retired man that was a, a wonderful father figure, spiritual mentor in my life um, as a young minister, and, and I loved spending time with Daddy Willis. And he loved to fish. He loved the Bible, and he loved to go fishing. And he's either going to talk to you about a big fish he caught or he's going to talk to you about something in Scripture. Most of the time, he would somehow weave the two together in some really strange way. But he had my wife and I over to the house for fish one night, and his wife was cooking the fish in the kitchen and having some good old southern fried fish. And um, he calls my wife and I into the living room. He says, Derek, Holly, come here. And he was sitting in his chair. He said, why don't you sit on the couch over there for a minute? And I knew it was coming. I knew he was like going to drop some type of bomb on us because that's the kind of guy he was. He wasn't just wanting to come talk about the weather or, you know, the football game score. He was going to say something to you. And so you just better get ready. And sure enough, sat down and Daddy Willis looks at me and he says, Derek, do you love your wife? And I said, yes, sir. Yeah, of course I love my wife. And he looked over at my wife and he says, Holly, does Derek ever tell you that he likes you? And he grabs her hands and he looks at her in the eyes and he says, I just want you to know I like you. She starts like tearing up. And here's this grandfather figure holding my wife's hand. I want you to know I like you. And then he looks back over at me and I'm like, oh boy. He said, Derek, he said, and he's holding my wife's hands. I'll never forget this while he's telling, telling me this. Derek, you need to make sure your wife knows that you like her because that's going to bring security to her heart. And he looked at her again. He said, Holly, I like you. And then he just moved on like nothing happened. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> and that always stuck, stuck with me because my wife, who is not a very emotionally expressive person, she began to tear up. She began to weep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, I need to let my spouse know not only did I love them, 
but that I like them. Ecclesiastes 9 and 9 says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because that's your portion in life and in your toil in which you toil under the sun. Solomon said this when he wrote Ecclesiastes, Enjoy life with the one whom you love. Enjoy your spouse. Let them know that you enjoy them and how you enjoy them, that you like them. And here's the deal, folks. Don't assume they know. Oh, I'm trying to help you to invest forward today. Listen to me. Get this. Don't assume they know. That's one of the worst things you can do is just assume, well, I go to work every day. She knows. I, I send her a card or I sent him a text message the other day. He knows. Don't assume because you've done a few things that they know. Because oftentimes when I'm talking to couples and, and counseling, man, one of the biggest things that happens is that over a period of time, there have been negative instances of assumption that have put the couple so far apart. And it wasn't something that happened overnight. It was these things that were neglected over a long period of time or these, or these bad attitudes or behaviors or, or sarcasm over a long period of time that was causing damage and wounds. And they were just the whole time assuming that they knew that I love them. Assuming that they know, oh yeah, I guess I like you. I'm still here, ain't I? And we, we, we wound and inflict damage by either our action or our inaction. Scripture wants us to enjoy life with our spouse. That's a completely different idea. And that doesn't mean you just enjoy life before you had kids. It's okay, you can laugh and not feel bad about that. Listen, you can enjoy life with your spouse while you have young children in the home too. Oh, how do you do that? Got real quiet, like awkwardly, uncomfortably quiet. By making them a priority, by getting creative, by making sure that you don't lose your love for one another just because new people have now entered your home. Because if you lose that priority, let me tell you, it does catch up with you. I've spent some time with some friends of mine who are both uh, in the stage of being grandparents and, and being empty nesters, and they have shared repeatedly with me as a part of my accountability group. They continue to share with me with great conviction and passion, don't stop investing in your spouse. Because one day the kids are going to be out of the house and you're going to look at this other person and you're going to go, hey, who are you? <laughs> Because the common goal that you had of raising the children is now gone. You're done with that season of life. You're no longer raising small children. They are living on their own, and it's just you too. And what are you going to do now? Listen, enjoy your spouse. Invest in enjoying. Let them know you like them. Don't assume. Don't be silent. Speak. Say those words. Say those words, maybe today the greatest healing that you could bring to your spouse is thinking of something that you like about them and vocalizing that to them this day. That you could look them in the eye and say, you know what I like about you? 
It's easy to say, oh, I love you, because we feel obligated to say that, but, uh, but let's take that a little deeper. What is something I enjoy about who you are? How are we enjoying one another? What do I enjoy doing with you? Because, let me tell you folks, we got to invest forward. we got to invest forward. Never stop investing in your marriage. Never stop. It's not something that stops it. It should not stop when this series is over. Maybe you need to put this series on autoplay. Just let it play again. You can go back. That's the great thing about technology. You can go watch it. If you don't want to look at me, I'm not offended. You can listen to the audio. <laughs> I mean, it, we've got resources out there. We've got stuff for you. We've got these events at Great Marriages. We've got the, uh, the, the great uh, community groups that we're launching. We've got the weekend to remember. I mean, we're always looking for opportunities to put in front of our church family because we want to see your marriages be healthy because that's God's desire for the family, is for your family to be healthy, for your kids to be healthy, for your walk with the Lord to be healthy, for your walk with your spouse to be healthy so that these things can bring glory to God. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfect because it is not going to go perfect. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to go through tough times. You're going to have to go through uh, times that, that, that make you question your sanity. And that's okay because you know what that makes you? It doesn't make you a failure. It makes you human. Welcome to the club. The difference is, is that we don't give up. We keep investing. We keep pushing forward because we know this is God's best. Even when it doesn't look like God's best, we know that this is God's best if we keep moving forward and invest and grow and learn and we work through some of these fixing us principles that we've talked through, that we can grow in loving each other and be a shining example to the world of what the gospel is all about. Being loved and accepted and welcomed when I wasn't worthy being loved and accepted and cared for when I didn't do anything to deserve it. That's the message of the gospel. And the gospel should be lived out in our marriages for the glory of God and to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ. That they can see two people who will probably wrong each other, who will say dumb things to each other, who will probably do dumb things, forgive each other, love each other, work through it, get stronger and better together. And when they see that, it's the message of the gospel being lived out. It's the grace of Jesus Christ being lived out between two people. And it's a testimony to the world of the goodness of God. Never stop investing. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you would help us all, Father, to be the people that you have called us to be, to step up and to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be, to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden, to be a shining example, a beacon of truth, Lord, because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray, Father, for healing in marriages where there's been woundedness, I pray for forgiveness where there's been, Father, just deep wounds. I pray, Father, for, for strength for those who may be in a good spot, but yet they just don't know what the next step is. I pray, Lord, that you would help to even strengthen, God, those who have been married a number of years that may feel out of touch with their spouse, that 
may feel like they don't know them anymore. I pray, Father, that your mercy and grace and forgiveness would be so real and so present and so tangible in marriages that it would cause, Father, such a, an awakening, Father, of the reality of your love and of your mercy towards us. Help us to prefer our spouse by learning them, Father, by listening to them and giving them priority and by communicating to them regularly that we like them, that we love them, that we're committed to them and we enjoy them. Father, I pray that you begin to soften even the hardest hearts to help us, God, to see through your eyes the gift that you have given us through our spouse. And I pray that marriages, Lord, will flourish and thrive because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love you and thank you for doing what only you can do in marriages and in families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.